Well, thank you, second graders, for praising God with that song, and thank you for sharing, with, sharing it with us as well. Oh, what, a, what a great reminder um, of God's presence with us throughout our entire life, from the very beginning to the very end, and into the, the new resurrection life that he gives us for all eternity. Um, as we turn our hearts now to, to hear the word of God and to reflect on what it has to say to us, will you join me just in a, a quick word of prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our children. Uh, what an incredible blessing they are to us. Uh, what a reminder to us of, of what innocence looks like. Um, all too often, what a reminder to us of what innocence does not look like. Um, but Lord, we thank you for their faith, um, their childlike love for you, uh, that accepts you uh, for who you are. And we pray that, that as we focus on, on your words and the words of your son, Jesus, that uh, we would have childlike faith to receive them and uh, to hear what you have to teach us today. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, grace and mercy and peace be yours from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we find ourselves in week four um, of our Epiphany sermon series called The Revealing. Uh, so far we've looked at, do we remember? What was the first week? The Magi. And we looked at the baptism of Jesus. Last week, we looked at Jesus turning 30 years, oh yeah, water into wine. Um, And in each of these events, God kind of uses these events to to show his glory, uh, to reveal Jesus as the Messiah that that he had sent to the world. Uh, Today, as we heard in our gospel lesson, Jesus explicitly claims to be that Messiah, when he pays a visit to the town where he grew up. So as many of you know, um, my dad is a pastor. He's been serving at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Hermiston, Oregon, for uh, coming up on 30 years uh, this coming summer. We moved to Hermiston from the seminary when I was four years old. So Hermiston is where I, where I grew up, where I lived until I went off to college and, and seminary myself. And, and it was always great, it still is, uh, to go home and, and to visit with family and friends, um, including, maybe especially, my church family at Bethlehem. It was especially cool uh, when we came home to visit after we'd been at seminary for a little bit, and I was invited to preach my first ever sermon at Bethlehem. Um, of course, I was pretty nervous. These people, as much as I knew they loved me and, and had supported me in incredible ways, maybe knew me a bit too well. Um, they remembered what I was like as a, a little tyke. They remembered the spats that uh, my sisters and I would have in church, all instigated by my sisters, um, as I recall. They remembered that time uh, that I thought... We needed a nice collection of flowers for our wagon, and so I coerced my sisters into hopping the parsonage fence and picking all of the newly planted flowers in front of the church um, the day before Easter. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I imagine as they watched me step into the pulpit for the first time, uh, many of these things were probably coming to mind for them. Uh, So I gave my first sermon, and afterwards, after the service... Um, honestly, all I got was, was praise and, and encouragement and genuine love. And about four and a half years later, uh, I was privileged to be ordained at my home church on my birthday. Um, my hometown, my home church are, are very special places for me where I've always felt very loved 
and honored. Well, today uh, we heard about when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth and preached his first sermon in Nazareth there in the synagogue, um, kind of his home church, right? Now, as, as a few of you may be aware, those of you who know me pretty well, um, there are unfortunately a, a number of differences between me and Jesus. Um, it's true, believe it or not. So he was without sin his whole life from, from childhood, from his borning cry on. <laughs> and um, when Jesus was a kid, you know, he never kind of got his siblings to uproot all the palm trees in front of the synagogue before Hanukkah or something like that. Um, even so, the people of Nazareth knew Jesus really well, perhaps a bit too well. So let's take a look at Luke's account here. We're told that Jesus came into town and on the Sabbath went to the synagogue. Even the Son of God would go to church every week. So that day, it was his turn to read the scriptures and to speak on them. So our Old Testament reading today that Jared read for us was from Nehemiah. The Old Testament reading that day whether chosen by Jesus or chosen for him, we don't know, was from Isaiah, specifically Isaiah chapter 61. And so Jesus began to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, there's a little connection here to the baptism of Jesus that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. There, remember, we saw the the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, all there. Well, here, too, um, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit kind of all spoken of. The Spirit of God the Father is on Jesus the Son because the Father has anointed the Son with the Spirit. Now, in Hebrew, the word for anointed is Mashiach, a word that we often will translate as Messiah. Uh, the Greek word that means the exact same thing is Christos or, or Christ. Uh, so they both mean the anointed one. They both mean anointed. But what does anointed mean? In the Old Testament, uh, prophets, priests, and kings, for the most part, would be anointed with oil. They would have oil poured on their heads um, to signify that they were being set aside for a special task, kind of given this special mission to to lead God's people as their ruler or or to speak God's word on his behalf or to to offer up prayers and, and sacrifices in the temple. Well, Jesus, who is our prophet, priest, and king, was also anointed, not with oil, But as Peter will say in in kind of the second volume of of Luke's writings here, in the book of Acts, Peter says that Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Just as Isaiah had prophesied in the, the reading that Jesus shared in the synagogue that day. So after reading that, when Jesus says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he is claiming that he is the one speaking in Isaiah 61 that he is the one upon whom the Spirit of Yahweh has come to rest, that he is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And that means that he's been set aside for a special task, sent on a mission to save the world, which he would do by proclaiming good news, by giving sight to the blind, 
by freeing those who are oppressed and in captivity. Jesus is the Messiah. He's been anointed to meet and to fulfill every human need. This is really good news for us, isn't it? Are you sick? Jesus came for you. Are you utterly full of sin? Jesus came for you. Are you heartbroken and don't think that you can ever truly live again? Jesus came for you. Are you a victim of of gross injustice? Jesus came for you. Are you held captive by an evil habit or an unhealthy relationship or a twisted mind? Jesus came for you. Do you see him? That day in the synagogue, as Jesus sat down to preach, as was the custom back then, sounds kind of nice for for me too every now and then, Uh, but Luke says, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now Luke's using this this phrase here in the Greek that he uses a few times. It kind of indicates that, that they were fixing their eyes on him with kind of unusual intensity. They had heard that Jesus had been doing these miraculous signs in other towns, and and so expectations were high as Jesus prepared to speak. The people gathered in the synagogue were hanging on his every word. Do you do that? One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Hebrews 12.2, which reminds us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. We do this by keeping him at the forefront in our minds throughout the day, by praying to him without ceasing, by by diving into his word every morning, every night. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Do your ears tingle with anticipation as you wait to hear what he has to say to you? Are you eager for his word? The eagerness of those gathered in Nazareth that day could not have been greater. Expectations were high. And Jesus didn't disappoint. When he wrapped up his message, Luke says, All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Jesus absolutely blew them away. Because he spoke, he taught with grace and authority. Grace because he was proclaiming the grace of God. He was already doing what he had been anointed to do, to proclaim good news to the poor. Authority, because the words of Jesus had power, because Jesus was the word of God in the flesh. Next week, as we finish our series, we'll spend some time reflecting on this sheer, unmitigated authority of Jesus and and what implications that has for us. For now, the hometown kid has wowed his audience. They were astonished and impressed by his teaching. But they did not believe it. And their praise didn't last long because it wasn't fully sincere. Or at least it failed to reckon with the the true identity of Jesus. Instead, they said with a hint both of surprise and, and maybe even a little resentment, is this not Joseph's son? After all, they had seen him grow up as the, the son of the local carpenter. And as impressive as his words had been, this guy was claiming to be Israel's Messiah. They knew who he was. Who did he think he was? And then Jesus responds to their offense by by adding to it. 
He reminds them of Elijah and Elisha, these, these two prophets who'd been rejected by their own people and sent to work their wonders in foreign lands. And this adds insult to injury in the eye of the Nazarenes because they had heard of the miraculous signs that Jesus had worked in Capernaum and in other places, but he wouldn't deign to show them what he could do. And so they were full of rage at God's Christ who was full of the Spirit. And they broke up the church service right in the middle of it and they rushed at him and they drove him out of town, out of the synagogue and up to the top of a hill to throw him down, probably intending to stone him by throwing these heavy rocks on him after his fall. His own people who so recently were so in awe of him tried to kill him at the drop of a hat. There's an important lesson for us to learn here. Beware of a false familiarity with Jesus. People of Nazareth thought they knew him so well, but they didn't really know him at all. And the world today is full of people of whom could be said the exact same thing. People who claim to know and to love Jesus, but who are insincere or or ignorant or indifferent or ill-informed. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves among them sometimes. For example, if we, if we read the scriptures or we, we come to church regularly and, and listen to the sermon or you know, read our devotions every morning and then pat ourselves on the back for being a good Christian, but then don't allow the word of God to reform our hearts, to reshape our lives, we're allowing ourselves to be impressed by Jesus without really wanting to know him. How ready people are to, to follow Jesus until they learn what he's really about. You know, he's just a great moral teacher who just, who just preaches love, man, right? Wait, wait, what's this about suffering with him? What? A sword? What? A cross? Sometimes we're tempted to, to know and, and follow Jesus or say that we do with, without really accepting all that he stands for or requires of us. We might cave in on certain social issues that, that God has spoken really clearly about because we want to come across as, as open-minded. Or on the flip side, we might you know, fail or refuse to offer grace and extend forgiveness where Jesus already has. When Jesus calls us as his disciples, when he calls you and me, he's not looking for half of our hearts. He wants the whole thing. He's not looking for an ish sort of commitment. To know Jesus and to be truly familiar with him, to be a part of his family, we have to be all in. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? And I'm, I'm not just talking about how hard it is to live out. It is, it is impossible for us to do perfectly, isn't it? And that's why this last verse in our text is so important for us. Luke says, But passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus, being driven to the literal brink by his fellow townsmen with murderous intent, just walks right through them. Now, we don't know exactly what this looked like, if kind of the look on his face or his disposition or kind of their reflection on what they were doing um, kind of caused this, or if it was just kind of a miracle, which I, I kind of tend to think it was. Regardless, the people of Nazareth did not end up killing one of their own that day. And here's why this verse is good news for us. Because this hill, outside of Nazareth, was not the hill Jesus would die on. Because he had a different one in mind. 
Last week we talked about how John's gospel repeatedly says his hour had not yet come. Well, here in Luke, this is one of those his hour had not yet come sort of moments. Nothing was going to keep Jesus from doing what he came to do, to set at liberty us who were oppressed by dying on the cross. Jesus had the power to lay down his life and take it up again, and people of Nazareth did not. And so Jesus chose to go to the cross for me and for you on another hill, one of his choosing. His own people would put him to death. And there on the cross, Jesus would fully reveal what he claimed that day in Nazareth, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, your Savior. There on the cross, he put to death your ish commitment. There on the cross, he he got rid of your false familiarity with him. There his grace and authority and majesty and glory were on full display. There, the anointed one, one forgiveness for all of your sins. And by his death and resurrection, he has given you the spirit that anointed and filled him. And that means that you are forgiven. And it means that you are anointed. You have been set apart as holy and loved and sent out to join Jesus on his mission to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. Again today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. May it also be fulfilled in your life this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Today, I I want to extend just a a special thank you to all of you for listening so intently and for not rushing me mid-sermon and driving me to the top of a hill. So uh, next week, we're going to build on that success as we wrap up our series by traveling from Nazareth to Capernaum and reflecting on the, the incredible authority of Jesus. Until then, may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.